experienced immense growth in trade, technology, and innovation in the last century, all made possible by taking risks and trusting the relationships we have formed with each other. As society grows in complexity, so do our relationships and the way we interact with one another, especially in business. Trust is crucial for business, but how can it be studied from the lens of economics? Our guest today is Professor Ben Ho, a professor of economics at Vassar College and author of the book, Why Trust Matters, An Economist's Guide to the Ties That Bind Us. Professor Ho applies behavioral economics tools like game theory and exper experimental methods to tackle a variety of topics, including identity, apologies, inequality, and climate change. He is also a faculty affiliate of the Center for Global Energy Policy at Columbia University. Welcome to the Trust Corner, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. I'm always happy to talk about trust and glad your podcast is advancing the conversation about it. Great, thank you so much. So I wanted to start with, you know, something pretty basic. Um, you know, I was really curious about this book and what it talks about specifically within economics. So what attracted you to studying trust from an economics lens? So yeah, I've actually been studying trust for over two decades now when I was a PhD student. And back then, um, you know, behavioral economics and this idea of integrating sociology and psychology into economics was just a new, exciting thing. And the most exciting, the most daunting part about being a PhD student is coming up with a dissertation that no one else has done before, right? And I was interested in the biggest questions of our time, like inequality and poverty, but very smart people had already tackled those questions um, for centuries now. And I, you know, was struggling to see how could, I could make a meaningful difference in those fields. And then I realized, well, I hit upon there, you know, maybe I could study something that economists have never really studied much before. Um, and trust was one of those questions, right? The, uh, the field of the economics of trust was just emerging in the 1990s. Um, I was interested in how we repair trust when trust was broken. So I wrote one of the first papers about how apologies repair trust. Um, and so sort of you know, I've come back around to sort of studying those big questions like inequality and poverty, but just from this sort of different angle by looking at how trust mediates our relationships. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. I think uh, we have explored with other academics uh, their own journey with trust, and it's always surprising to see how much the academic world has really studied trust in different, um, you know, yours is economics, you know, the other ones we had was business. Um, and now what we're seeing is that, you know, the business businesses are kind of catching up with that research and, and really putting it uh, to use. So thank you for sharing that. Now, um, in your book, you mentioned that economics, economists have neglected to consider the role of trust in their research. Why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think they didn't what do you think they didn't understand about trust? Yeah, I think it's a really great question. I think the reason is that economics has always been about incremental change. I think that's one of the strengths and the weaknesses of economics, that we basically have this sort of like neoclassical model that's been developed over 100 years. And because we have that foundational model, our, you know, our methods are really well developed for that foundational model. Right, the, the classic things you learn in economics about supply and demand. Um, and we have adapted those models over time, but slowly, right? So we've started, we've added to that classic model imperfect markets and asymmetric information and impatience. But 
historically economics, I think has been slow to not rock the boat too much of our frameworks for understanding society. Um, and so now I think we've come to the point in the development of economics where we have the tools to start, to start studying things like trust, right? We have better game theory tools. We have better experimental tools. We have access to more data with the internet. And that's allowed us to sort of study trust in ways that just weren't available before in this incremental approach. Wow, that's fascinating too. To hear, you know, I think uh, economics was something else that we had kind of brought up in in some of our planning sessions, and and it was great to see that, you know, you had done so much uh, research on it. So I'm glad that um, you were able to get attracted to it and explore something that you know it hasn't really been explored within that lens. So why do you think trust is so important for economists and the wider public to understand? Yeah, I think I take a really big picture view to that question. Um, I think my book is in some ways a story about human civilization. Right? I start way back at the beginning of, of, of like, you know, prehistory. And I sort of see the story of human civilization as uh, um, basically how we learn to cooperate in bigger and bigger groups. Um, basically, we started where, you know, in prehistoric tribes where we, we basically could only trust our family members and those tribes sort of grew to basically cooperating with our village, cooperating with our nation state, today cooperating across the whole world. All right, Adam Smith in his book, The Wealth of Nations, he basically defined the, the, the wealth of nations as effectively specialization of labor. Right before Adam Smith's time in the 1700s, people thought of the wealth of nations as basically just gold, right? And kings were always trying to hoard their gold. And Adam Smith basically changed the uh, changed the thinking about wealth um, in terms of what we today think about as GDP, as productivity. And the key insight of his book is that specialization of labor is the key to productivity. Um, Adam Smith talks about how in the 1700s, it basically took like an hour for a pin maker, right, like a clothing pin maker, basically an hour just to make a handful of pins. And what, what developed in the 1700s was specialization, where you'd have a dozen different people working together in that pin factory, and they could create tens of thousands in an hour. Right. And he was amazed at that increase. You basically have one person basically cutting the wire, one person sharpening the wire, one person putting a, a, a head on that pin, one person boxing the pins. Right. And that specialization basically increased productivity by a thousandfold. But in order to have so much um, so many people working on it, you basically needed to trust each other. Right. Cooperation is difficult. What if one person didn't show up to work one day? What if one person did a bad job? And so basically, in order to increase wealth, Basically, we need to cooperate at larger scales, and to cooperate at larger scales, we basically need trust. And today, things are so much more complicated, right? So today, we're talking to talking to you over, you know, on this podcast, and thousands of people were involved to basically make this podcast, right? The people that made the recording, the people that made the internet, the people that made my computer, the people that made the microphones, thousands and thousands of people are all coordinating, and all of that requires trust to make that all hang together. Um, and so I think it's it's basically there, pervasive in every aspect of our society, and often we just don't think about it enough. Wow, you actually just blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for for sharing that. I think that cooperation is not something that 
we, I think not unlike trust, cooperation is something that we kind of take for granted and, we're, and we maybe just think that it's already ingrained and it's part of our society. Uh, but as you just mentioned, it's kind of uh, a very important part of successful societies, specifically, um, you know, societies that have, you know, a, a high GDP. So that's really, really yeah. interesting. To go back to your previous question, right, about mm -hmm. economics, um, I think conventional economics has thought about that cooperation as being mediated by markets and contracts. And I think all of those things are important parts of cooperation, but also required is basically trust. And mm -hmm. it's sort of that trust component and how trust interacts with markets and contracts to ensure that cooperation um, is what my research is all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, now uh, you mentioned, uh, so we talked about cooperation, which we will uh, talk about again. Uh, but now I want to talk more, you kind of mentioned it a bit, and I mentioned it in your in your introduction. Uh, you know, you have a background in game theory, um, and, and you definitely use that in your research. So how did you apply that experience to understanding trust? Yeah, so I came to economics from a background in mathematics and in computer science, right? I learned to program when I was five years old, and I've always enjoyed math. And at some point in college, I sort of realized that, oh, you know, you can apply mathematics not just to computers, but to people as well. And people are, frankly, more interesting to me than, you know, just computers. <laughs> and basically, the point of game theory is to basically model human interaction with math. And, you know, working with sociologists, they always complain, right? Because as economists, we like try to oversimplify things. We lose a lot of nuance when we try to you know, model things mathematically. Um, I once worked with a sociologist friend of mine on, on trust. And the first question we had is like, what is trust? And he spent hours defining trust in all its nuance in terms of like, is it general or particular, you know, the different kinds of trust. And for me, trust can be written on a napkin. Right? We, we were in a coffee shop. I literally took out a napkin and I drew it in a few lines, how economists think about trust. And of course, you do lose a lot of nuance that way, but I think that but that helps, that simplification helps, right? Mm -hmm. Just like physicists often study things on a frictionless surface, right? To, to basically get a grasp of how it works. Or physicists st study planets as like two-body problems because three-body problems are too difficult. Economists sort of simplify trust to its, you know, key elements. Um, so we call this, you know, we call this key model the trust game in economics, um, and my book sort of, you know, decomposes that trust game into four components, right? And using game theory, I basically explain that the trust game is basically about four things. The first is trust, which is your beliefs about the other person. The second is trustworthiness, which is the values of the person you're interacting with. The third is acts of trust, which is basically about being vulnerable. And the fourth is acts of trustworthiness, which is a sacrifice made for the common good. And you know, through this sort of simple framework, economists have basically been able to develop lots and lots of research that all sort of fits together because it all sort of fits into this common interface, this common design. And I think we've made a lot of progress in understanding trust because we have that common framework. You know, that's really interesting how your framework um, works because you mentioned vulnerability. And as I mentioned earlier, we had other academics who have also referred to trust as an act of vulnerability. Um, so how important now, I mean, you mentioned it in your framework, but how important do you think vulnerability is to trust? Yeah, I think it's essential. 
I think one way you can see how important vulnerability is, is if you just watch a lot of romantic comedy movies, right? That, you know, in so many plot lines of these romance movies, basically the, the heroes have to basically be vulnerable. They have to be like, you know, stop being so closed off because that's the only way for trust and love to flourish. And so I think we anecdotally feel that vulnerability is important. But I think the power of economics and the power of this framework is once we have this sort of these, this game theory framework, we can actually run experiments. One of my favorite experiments is a paper from 2006 by Falk and Kostfeld that basically took our standard trust game experiment and played it in a laboratory. All right, and so the trust game is basically a game where you bring, you know, stu you know typically students into a lab, they're, they're given some money, and if they trust each other, they can make more money. All right, and we use that framework, you know, using the standard, you know, napkins, napkin model of trust to explore questions about how important is vulnerability to trust. And so in this version of the trust game, what they did was they tested the control group, which is the basic trust game, where you basically have to be vulnerable to take a risk to cooperate, and a treatment group where you basically allow the, um, the trustor, the person who has to do the trusting, to basically reduce the risk, right? To basically make themselves less vulnerable, to make it a safe, to make it safer to cooperate. And you might think that that's great, right? If you, that safety is good. We, we, we all prefer safety. But in this particular case, they'd show that that risk, that vulnerability was an essential component to trust. And that by taking that risk and vulnerability away, that actually led to less trust and worse outcomes and less cooperation for everybody. And the logic is that by not being vulnerable, you're, you're basically not signaling to the other person that you think that they are a trustworthy person, right? That that act of vulnerability basically signals that you know, I have high expectations for you. I think you're a trustworthy person. I think you have good values. And, you know, that signal in, in, in a regular interaction is what leads to reciprocity. It's what leads to cooperation. And taking that vulnerability away takes away one of the key components you need to basically build trust. And so we sort of see this not just in experiments, but we see this in the outside world. People have examined contracts, um, like, like business contracts, and they've, they've found that oftentimes business contracts leave some things unsaid, right? And the reason for that is because if you over-specify things, then you're basically taking the trust out of that relationship. Um, and if you sort of leave things unsaid and have it basically depend on the trust that develops in the relationship, you actually wind up getting stronger contracts between firms. You know, I think this is the first time I've ever heard an economist uh, use romantic comedies as an example. And I I wish, uh, I hope more economists do the same. <laughs> but I think you, I mean, I think you laid it out uh, perfectly. And and it's it was really in interesting what you mentioned about the contracts as well. Now, um, now that we, you know, we kind of explored vulnerability um, and, and I want to, go back to something that you mentioned earlier, which is that in, in the beginning of your book, you talk about ancient civilizations and how, you know, trust was less complicated because, you know, our relationships with each other were less complicated. Uh, but now, you know, the world is very complex. So my question is, how does modern civilization compare? Like what things have not really changed and what things have radically changed? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because there's so much pessimism these days about trust, right? People think, oh, things are so bad today. But I intended my book to be a message of optimism, to sort of point out how much more trusting we are today than in ancient times or prehistory. 
Um, I think the best way to see that is this work that I really love by these two anthropologists, Jean Ensminger and Joseph Enrich. Right? And basically what they did was they took the standard trust game that I've been talking about all along, right? the standard trust game model that fits on a napkin. And basically they wanted to take that trust game and have our, our ancient ancestors play that trust game. But you know, not having a time machine, right? they couldn't go back in time to have our ancestors play, you know, play, play the trust game. They instead found societies that are still around today that lived like our ancestors did. They basically you know, went to the Amazon and found hunter-gatherer societies. They went to parts of Africa and found subsistence farmers. And their conjecture was that by studying how they played the trust game, we could basically get some understanding of how all humans played the trust game back when we were hunter-gatherers tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, and so what they expected is they expected to see more trust in those societies. Right. I mean, anthropologists for a long time have like visited visited hunter gatherer societies. They know that cooperation is really important to survive when you basically don't have markets and you just have to rely on each other. And to their surprise, when they played the standard trust game, they found actually the most trust in modern societies like the United States and the least trust in hunter gatherer societies living like we did hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so they they were puzzled for a while. And what they realize is that the key difference is that the trust game, the way we normally play it in economics, is that it's an anonymous game. You basically ask, how much do you trust this other anonymous person in your village? And basically what they discovered is that, you know, for you know, hunter-gatherer societies, trust is never anonymous. It's always personal. And what we've learned to do over the centuries and in modern times is we've learned to trust anonymous other people. Right, that basically when we get into a taxi cab, there's a lot of trust happening on both sides, right? You trust a taxi driver to not cheat you and the taxi driver trusts you to pay. And that just sort of happens automatically. When we, when we buy something online, I'm old enough you know, to remember when you know, online purchases and Amazon and eBay were a new thing. And people thought, oh, what a crazy idea it is to send money to some stranger online. And now there's like so much trust on the internet that I think, you know, for, you could even base, the most amazing thing is there's this illegal website called the Silk Road, where people are basically sending money to drug dealers online and trusting them to send legitimate drugs back. And drug dealers are not the most trustworthy people. And yet we have institutions today that make us able to trust complete strangers, even potentially untrustworthy strangers. And I think that's a pretty amazing thing. I want to touch on a term, you know, going back to your book uh, that you mentioned, which is co cooperative dilemma. Uh, you know, we mentioned cooperation, uh, you know, earlier in the episode. So can you provide an example of cooperative dilemma? Yeah, I think it's ubiquitous, right? I think I start thinking thinking about it, you know, in the context of hunter-gatherers, right? So you are a hunter, you've just sort of taken down a gazelle, and now you have this dilemma of, first of all, it required cooperation to basically do the hunt, right? It's hard to hunt by yourself. You need people working together. Um, and so that is one cooperative dilemma. You have to trust everyone else around you to work together on that hunt. Um, and then second of all, now you have this giant, piece of meat, right? And there were no refrigerators back then. And you have to figure out, okay, what do I do with all this meat? I can't eat it all myself. You have to share it, right? And so sort of the earliest acts of trust that we sort of see in these societies is deciding who do you share that meat with, right? And the reason why trust is so important is because you want to share that meat with people that will share back with you, all right? And this kind of sharing is basically just, you know, uh, a good illustration of what economists mean by that trust game. 
right? That, you know, if I share with you today, will you reciprocate that trust and share back with me in the future? And of course, that's an ancient example, right? But I think those habits that we developed then continue to this day. I mentioned the problem of taxi drivers, but, you know, it happens, um, you know, in more in every situation, um, in contracts between businesses, in um, purchases you make online, in group projects you make at work with your colleagues, um, you know, as a professor, I, I, my students often have, you know, often have team projects that they do for class. These are all examples where you rely on your, on your, where you rely on other people, right? You have to be vulnerable around them um, and to rely on them, um, but benefits of, of working together and relying on them is that you could basically do more as a group than you could do on your own. Um, there's some really great research actually about um, diversity. We, you know, we're thinking about diversity earlier and um, that the diverse groups often are more innovative and more creative than homogeneous groups. There's some great research out of Columbia showing that. And so, but it's often more difficult to trust and cooperate with you know, different people. And so, you know, even as the, um, the benefits of cooperation increase with diversity, you know, trust often becomes more difficult. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you that you mentioned diversity. You know, that is something uh, that that is very important to us at SAP. And I think that um, it's it's important to understand uh, the benefits, like you mentioned. You know, they're more innovative. Uh, you know, diverse teams are uh, provide more solutions to different problems. Um, but but it is understanding that you do have to be vulnerable in these situations for it to work. So. Totally makes sense. So, you know, for my last question, you know, I kind of want to kind of want to open it up for you. You know, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience about your research, your book, or any other kind of concept that you find interesting? Sure. Um, I guess we start. You started by talking about you know the book that came out just a couple of years ago, and the paperback is just out now um, about why trust matters. So I could just talk a bit about the next book project that I'm working on. Yes, absolutely. The title of the book is The Two-Handed Economist. Um, and the name comes from a quote by Harry Truman, who wanted to hire a one-handed economist because he was annoyed that, you know, his economists are always coming and basically saying, on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And he just wanted, you know, a simple answer, right, to say, to, to tell him what to do. Um, and I think economists are really good at pointing out that there's another side to every story. For every benefit, there's a cost. For every cost, there's a benefit. Um, we sort of love thinking about unintended consequences. And so this book is basically, you know, how economics economics not only highlights you know, the two hands of every story, but how behavioral economics often shows that it's difficult to see the other hand, right? And the importance of you know, basically having an open mind about seeing things from multiple points of view. Uh, because as I said earlier, we're all worried about trust these days. We're worried about increased polarization. Um, and I think being able to see the two hands of every situation is a great way to bring us all back together. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ben. That was, I am looking forward to that book. It sounds really, really interesting. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. I definitely learned a lot and hopefully our audience has as well. So thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun.